0: As we, Carl, unpacked how Christ has given in His victory over the sin and death, He's given the Church various gifts in the form of apostles and teachers, evangelists and shepherds to help equip the saints. That's all of us here today to do the works of ministry, to do this thing of church, to, to minister to one another and help us grow. And here we see what, what He has in mind, what Jesus has in mind in giving us these gifts. He says, uh, verse twelve. He says, and he, or, or verse eleven. He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to. Equip equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up um the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ and so we see that the reason god gives us these gifts is to help us grow in our knowledge and in our faith of God. There's two parts to us, uh, two parts of that. There's a knowledge element and there's a faith element. And as we do that, we become more like Christ as we go along. And so Paul actually uses the metaphor, he kind of uses two metaphors in this passage. The first one is the metaphor of a body, right? He talks about building up of the body until we reach this mature manhood. Um, and, in, and this is actually continuing his use of the, the body metaphor from chapter 2. We remember where Christ says he in his death and resurrection he's creating a new A new body of believers, where the Gentiles have been grafted in with the Jews, and now there is one body. And so God has started that uh, that process, and now He's calling us to grow up and to mature. And He's unpacking what that desire for the body is—that we would be complete and healthy. See god doesn't just desire that the church becomes bigger it gets a bigger in, uh, influence and in culture uh, a bigger footprint but he desires that so not just growing bigger but he desires that we grow up um, into Christ-likeness. If you you think of Christ as the ultimate uh, person, he is complete. He is whole. There is fullness to him. And yet we, as uh, kind of the the body uh, beneath him, we're not yet fully mature. We're not yet fully complete. And so God is giving us these various gifts to help us grow up into Christ-likeness. And so we can be a big church. We can. I mean, we're not a massive church, but we're we're a sizable church. We can be a growing church. We can be an influential church. But I want to ask, are we a mature church? Is there a level of sturdiness to us? Is there a level of completeness to our faith, a roundedness to who we are? Or are we maybe severely underdeveloped in some areas? And I think that is a, a, applicable for us as individuals as much as it is applicable for us as a a body here this morning and so to kind of shift metaphors i I mentioned a bit earlier but as christ followers we can sometimes feel like we're drifting right in our faith you feel like you're not necessarily moving solidly in one direction you're kind of out in the waters it's maybe not too rocky not too stormy but you're kind of just drifting week in and week out and you kind of maybe are thinking man there must be more for me than this there must be something more to this life of faith and than just me drifting And Jesus desires that we all would be moving forward. Our lives would be set firmly on a course of growing into Christ-likeness, and we'd be experiencing with that the fullness of who he's designed us to be. Now, speaking about maturity, it's important to unpack what it is and isn't. On the one hand... Maturity as a Christ follower is not just age or years as a Christ follower. So, just because you're older or maybe you've been walking with Christ for decades, it doesn't automatically make you mature, right? It doesn't just happen passively. It's not just a thing that you've just got to put in the years and suddenly, you know, you are, maturity comes with it. So it's not just a passive uh, age thing, and it's not just knowledge about God. It's not just, you can't just go to seminary, and then suddenly you're a mature Christian. There are tons of professors who can explain the Bible backwards, but there's a, a, a shallowness to their faith. They don't, they don't understand or uh, applying the truths of God to their lives. And so it's not just a, a cold academic knowledge about God that leads to maturity. Instead, there's an activeness to it. There's an element of knowledge of God and his word, which uh, which comes with study and with time. And so there is an element of time involved. But there's also an element of faith to it, right? And these are two things that Paul actually mentions. We see in verse 13, he says, in the beginning, he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And so knowledge of God without faith is just academic. It's just cold and dry. But faith in god without a knowledge of actually who he is actually doesn't really, really help you that much either because when the storms come of life you don't actually know what you have faith in you can't anchor yourself onto something unchangeable and true and so we can define for the sake of our purposes this morning christian maturity is a willingness to believe and apply the truth of god's word for our lives in order to become more like christ i'll say that again we christian maturity is the willingness to apply and believe the truth of God's word for our lives in order that we might become more like Christ. And so we see this in how we respond to the realities of life. How do we respond to failure? What, what truths about God are we applying to our lives when we fail massively? What about tragedy? What truths about God are we willing and able to apply to our lives when we embrace tragedy or uncertainty or temptation? of various kinds. What, what truths are we able to apply to our, our hearts and trust in and delight in? Um, and, and that is a, a reveals the element of our maturity. Sure, we can have faith in God, but if there's not a knowledge that accompanies it, that faith can be kind of empty uh, and, and, and actually doesn't serve us in the end. There's a really great quote from John Piper, which we're actually also going to unpack a little bit later. But he says, we defeat sin and do righteousness, i.e. we can grow in maturity in a sense, by being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Christ in the next five minutes, five months, five decades, and into eternity. We grow in maturity when we are able to be satisfied and all that God promises to be for us in the person of Jesus Christ right now, in the moment of temptation, in the next five months when we're planning the, the course of our lives, in the next five years and, and decades, uh, that is how uh, we can grow up as Christ follows into Christ-likeness. And so that's the goal that we see. God desires that as individuals and as an inner city corporate body, we are to grow up into Christ-likeness, not just grow, not just kind of get a bigger building, get more meetings, but there's a level of sturdiness and maturity to our faith. And that looks like people who are being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in every circumstance. And that satisfaction in who God is would be happening faster and faster and faster. So uh, um, I think someone once mentioned as well, maturity in a sense is uh, repenting quicker and quicker, right? It's one thing to kind of Uh, do something and then you know a week later you kind of think oh man that wasn't actually that great i should you know go and apologize to someone but if you can do something and you realize in that moment oh man i've i've messed up let me go and apologize there's an element of growth and maturity in that right and so the same is true here we we can trust and be satisfied in who god says he is quicker and quicker uh, and that is a, a mark of us growing in maturity and so that's the what. God desires for us to be mature. But what about the why? Why should we be mature? What's, what's the purpose of this? Why is it something to go after? Um, and so we see in the next few, passage, next few verses is that so that we can remain stable in the midst of winds and waves. And so this leads us to our next question. Are you anchored? If the first question was, are you maturing? The second one was, are you anchored? In verse 14, Paul says that we are to grow up so that we may no longer be like children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. And so we know that children can be extremely gullible, right? And this can often lead to a little bit of fun if you've got good intentions, but it, it can get quite scary and serious if someone with ill intentions is, uh, is, is, is abusing that uh, gullibility, if that's a word. And so Paul here shifts metaphors from this idea of a body, and he uses this idea of a ship out at sea being battered by by the, the waves and kind of being carried by the winds. And uh, Paul actually shared an interesting story from a book he's been reading in, uh, about Cape Town. In the 1800s on Table Bay, during um, heavy storms, there was this trade uh, uh, called um, boatsmen, basically. And what would happen is these ships would come into the harbor and for various reasons uh, they couldn't actually anchor down um, because I think they wouldn't be able to leave the the rock configuration meant that if they dropped anchor themselves they wouldn't be able to leave. I'm not a geologist I'm just taking it at this um, book's value. But the idea then was when a storm would come they would send out sort of a bid to the the mainland and these people would come out, these boatsmen would come out with anchors and they would attach it to the ship and they would attach it to the the ground um, and it would keep them safe until they needed to go. Um, And so a normal price for this would be like £150, right? Which is a lot of money back then in the 1800s. A bad storm if the The captain kind of realized actually this is something serious i need to just up my wager a little bit they would offer 600 pounds and so these guys would come out with these anchors attach it to the ships and kind of keep them in safe during the storm but during one such storm in may 1865 18 ships were lost uh in the harbor because of uh, in in the bay because of the storm and so one ship's captain he kind of desperately he shot his offer up all the way to a thousand pounds to anyone who would come out and anchor him to the ground but unfortunately 12 boatsmen had already lost their lives that night trying to do this job and so no one was willing to take him up on that offer um and unfortunately, I don't actually know how the story ends, what that, that boatsman you're going to have to ask Paul. I'm so sorry, I've just realized as I'm saying this, I'm like, oh man, what am I doing here? I mean, I can assume it didn't end well, let's just, you know. But I think the point of that story is that Captain understood the need to be anchored And was willing to pay whatever price it was necessary. A thousand pounds back then is probably like a year's wages just to be anchored because he realized that this is something hectic. I need to, I need to be holding on to something far stronger than myself. And if we go back to our maturity, which is the willingness to live by the faith in, in the truth of God's word in all moments of life, then you can see how maturity is like an anchor that keeps us sturdy throughout our lives. Right? There are many reasons why we might feel tossed and rocked by the waves in our lives. Personal anxieties, national and financial uncertainties, economic uncertainties, loss, suffering, sickness, divorce. Uh, what about temptation of wealth and success, the kind of need to pursue that at all costs, or a desire for a lasting and fulfilling relationship? All these things can, can leave us tossed and, and uh, tossed to and fro. Now, as a mature Christ follower, it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel these things. It, not, it doesn't mean that you're going to be immune from these things. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be painful or difficult even. I can't promise you that at all. But like those boats in the bay, it means that, they aren't going to wreck you. They aren't going to destroy you. They aren't going to leave you in a, in a pile of rubble and a heap. You aren't tossed uncontroll- tr- con- uncontrollably. You are anchored in the truth of who God has revealed himself to be. And you choose to live by faith in that promise rather than the thing that you're seeing right in front of you. As Christ followers, we are called to live by faith not by sight. right? And this is an, an area where that comes into play. We choose to live by the faith in who God says he is rather than the, the anxiety or the stress or the, the suffering that we, we feel in front of us. And how that works is what Piper was speaking about in that quote. He says, uh, well, the idea is that you're able to withstand the anxiety or suffering or temptation because you are believing and you are delighting in the in the God, in God's promises and what he promises to be for you in Christ in every circumstance. And so for every wave, every temptation, every idol that we face, there is a truth about God that he's revealed himself in Scripture that we can anchor ourselves on, that we can unpack and say, this is the truth that I'm anchoring myself on. It is a better thing. It is a more delightful thing to hope in and trust in and pursue than this thing that is tossing me and, and rocking my life. And so that's the first idea of being rocked and tossed by the waves. But you'll see that Paul actually uses another idea, and that is the, the, the being carried about by the winds. Uh, uh, being carried about by the winds. Sorry. And so it's a slightly different picture, right? Whereas waves are big and powerful and are clearly obvious, winds are far more subtle, and they move you often without you e- even realizing it. And so there are plenty of winds that blow around us that, if we're not anchored, they can carry us away. And these can be both in the church and they can be outside of the church. Just think of if you look at church history and you kind of look at church moments and if you look at churches right now, you can see that um, the various winds have blown through it. And right now there's the sense of um, the, the, the authority and the inerrancy and the supremacy of God's word is kind of being undermined. And so as culture increasingly clashes with God's word time and time again, you're seeing churches saying, Maybe we should go with culture side. Maybe the Bible needs to adapt and grow and change. And so this idea of God's word being supreme is kind of getting uh, undermined slowly and slowly with this wind that is blowing through us. But that's just a one, one um example another situation is what about winds in our culture that can carry us right these can come in the form of lies or false promises that culture tries to tell us and i think of this one area i mean we could be all day unpacking the false promises that we tell ourselves and believe but this one that is so prevalent right now is be true to yourself Right, create your own truth. That's the highest goal. Don't conform to any authority or institution. Choose what you want to do. Come to church, pick and choose the parts that you like, um, but make your own philosophy of life and live that out. New York Times columnist, uh, columnist David Brooks he writes this about this cultural moment, and he says, uh, "Okay, you might not read that. I'll read it to you." He says, "You have to find your own truth." This is the privatization of meaning. It's not up to schools to teach a coherent set of moral values or a society. Everybody chooses his or her own values. Come up with your own answers to life's ultimate questions. No wonder it's so hard to be a young adult today. No wonder our society is fragmenting. We've taken the lies that hyper-individualism, of hyper-individualism and we've made them the unspoken assumptions that govern how we live. And this thinking can even creep into our own lives, all right? We're not immune from this. We, can, we think we can believe what we want to believe about God, but adjust the difficult parts or kind of the parts that challenge us or, or feel like they're clashing with culture. We kind of think, okay, maybe maybe there's an explanation for that, or maybe we can just kind of leave that part. Um, we're seeing this more and more in uh, in the church even. We've, in the last month, I've just kind of been heartbroken to read two well-known Um, uh, a church uh, leader in the States and a a well-known worship pastor or worship leader have walked away from their faith. They've kind of announced on Instagram that they can no longer call themselves Christian. They're walking away from uh, the faith. And the reasons they've kind of given is, is that they're quoting biblical truths about life and who God is and what he says, which they can no longer agree with. And they, well, they don't like the answers to. They don't feel like they're sufficient enough. And so what's, what you're seeing a lot is that they're actually using this language of what is true to me now is that Christianity is just one religion that you know, I can't agree with. What is true to me now And what you're seeing is that they're actually, they're quoting things like, but go on, live live unconditional forgiveness. I believe in unconditional generosity and all these things about God and Christianity and, and things that, you know, God gives us. But they don't want Christ. They don't want the king. They want the kingdom without the king. And they're saying, this is a truth I don't want to accept, but these truths I will take. And you see, what happens is when you're not anchored in the unchanging truth of God, you can easily very easily be carried away by the false promises that our culture makes. And what about, in a, a quick look at this is the idea of success that our culture tells us, right? Success looks like this one thing. It's when you have an amazing Instagram-worthy life, or it's making a name for yourself. It's reputation, or it's a, a life full of experiences that you can, you've got enough money that you can just enjoy all that life has to offer. And when we believe in these false promises, it can lead to all sorts of anxieties right, in our hearts and selfishness in the pursuit of it, or pride when we achieve it, or despair when we don't. I think of my own life, I have to... Constantly deal with a sense of uh, anxiety about inadequacy and and reputational failure in my workplace. If I don't perform to a certain level or standard, I'm in the the creative field, and if if my creative output isn't you know killing it, I kind of think, oh man, I'm a failure. These guys they're going to realize that they've made a terrible mistake hiring me, and they're going to move me on. And there's a sense of reputational honor that I attach to my output, and uh, often I have to realize a fight. For faith that God's approval of me because of his love for me is far more lasting, far more significant, far more fulfilling than the approval of a boss or something. And hes act, they're actually not, not even approving of me. They just want a creative output. They're not declaring value or worth on my life, but I am declaring value and worth on my life because I'm, I'm a ascribing value to what I'm doing the success in my career I'm saying that is what defines me and if I have a mediocre career one day maybe my life actually won't amount to much and I've realized over the last few weeks and months I've had to do the hard work walking to work on a Monday saying God this, is, this does not define me. What you have said about me defines me. I can create, I can do the gifts that you've given me out of, out of a sense of your approval of me, out of a sense of you love me already, and I'm going to anchor my soul in that truth rather than any review or approval that I might get at the workplace. And so what is the upshot of this, guys? Well, what it means is that we are all, we have to be, and we are by a default, are theologians. And we need to take that seriously. Theology isn't just something reserved for the elders or for academics or for people who've gone to seminary. If you're a Christ follower, you have a belief about God, you have an understanding about God, and that is shaping how you live your life. And we all need to be engaging in our knowledge and understanding of who God has revealed himself to be, not just who we want him to be, right? Jesus, calls him, Jesus himself calls us not to just love him with all our hearts and all our souls and all our strength, but with our minds as well, we're, we're to engage our minds in knowing who God is and, and the, his truths. I want to ask you this morning, are you anchored in God's truth? Not just some of it, not just the parts that you agree with, but, easy, but all of it. And just because you've maybe been a Christ follower for a number of years and you know the language, you know the right answers, are you able to discern the waves and the winds that rock your heart and carry you away from these central truths about who god is we need to have a maturity friends to discern the false promises that our culture tells us but also the false promises that we tell ourselves the false promises that we believe in that if i do this i'm successful if i can get this status or get this goal or get this relationship then i will be happy these are false promises that can carry our hearts away and on a practical level this means something for our life groups, right? Our life groups can't just be a time when we get together and we share opinions. Maybe we open the scriptures, but then we just kind of share our opinions of what that means, what how that speaks to me, uh, what that could mean for us today. Friends, that's, that's not a life group. If we're just sharing our opinions, the picture of that is actually on the Titanic when they're singing and dancing and dining and the ship is going under. They're oblivious to what is happening. It might feel good, but it will lead to our destruction because... That will just lead to everyone forming our own opinion about who God is. And when a wind or the waves or the the storms come, which inevitably they will do, we will be tossed and carried away and we will just have opinions about God that don't hold us together. And so I want to encourage us all and challenge us all. Let's make sure our life groups are centered around growing in the knowledge and the faith of who God is. Unpack who God is and then let's coach ourselves and bring ourselves to say, God, help me to trust in this truth and anchor my life on it. And so that's the why. We need to grow in maturity so that we can be stable and steadfast. Now Paul goes on to explain how this happens. And so this is kind of the final point. We need to be mature. We grow in maturity by speaking the truth in love. And the question here is, are you engaging or are you participating in this community for that to happen? Look at what Paul says in verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We see that the way we grow up into maturity is by speaking the truth in love. And uh, the commentaries actually uh, unpack this word speaking a little more. And they say that the the Greek word actually is bigger than just speaking it it also means to it's almost like you've got to be truthing in love you've got to be doing the truth in love you've got to be walking the truth in love and living out the truth with our whole lives in love and what this is is a picture of being engaged with one another right this isn't just we can't just take a hands-off approach where we think everybody's walking their own journey truth is truth for them i'm not going to get involved i can't interfere no Paul is saying that we need to speak, we need to live out this truth and love with one another. That is how how we help the body grow into Christ's likeness. Notice how Paul says we need both truth and love. See. Maybe you're, you're kind of more on a truthy side of things, right? But that can lead to become, you becoming judgmental and prideful. You know the truth and this person needs to know the truth and so you are going to give them the gift of telling them the truth. And so where one person thinks they have the monopoly on truth and pointing it out, you know, that that leads to uh, that doesn't lead to unity um, and does not lead to maturity. But on the other hand, maybe you're like, I'm just a lover, man. I'm just going to love people through all of their, their pain and their sorrow and any temptation. Or whatever I can see is happening in someone's life, I'm just going to love them through it. But love on its own can also be selfish and fearful, right? Where you're too scared or to speak up the truth and say, "Listen, this is actually that's not loving if you're not willing to speak into their lives." Or maybe it's coming of a, a place of selfishness, like, "Flip, I actually don't want to get involved. I don't want to cause offense here." You see. In our culture today, we, there's this understanding that you can't disagree with me and love me at the same time. If you're going to agree with me, that's how you love me. If you're going to disagree with me, that's fine. But I, I know where the, sand, where the line is drawn, you don't love me. But that's not what we see in the person of Jesus, right? Jesus always spoke the truth in love. When the woman was... Caught in adultery uh, at the well, what did Jesus say to her? He said, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. She says, well, neither do I condemn you, but now go and sin no more. And so we can easily fall into one of those camps. We can say, go and sin no more. Stop sinning. Stop being like that. Grow into Christ-likeness. Or we can fall into the camp of saying, no, I'm not going to condemn you. You know, everyone's just on their own journey. Jesus marries the two perfectly. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let your life be changed from this day forward, and he says the same to you and me this morning. He says, "You are more sinful than you realize. If you've got a picture of how your heart is before God in its sinful state, you'll, we'd be wrecked. You have a debt to my father's holiness. That's the truth. That is the hard truth that we need to constantly realize and be reminded on. But in love, he says, "I have taken your place. I have paid that debt for you. Go and sin no more. Grow up into Christlikeness." John Stott says, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. As a church community, friends, we need to be speaking the gospel truth in love into every circumstance of one another's lives. This is how we help each other grow up. When someone comes into great success, great wealth, great you know promotions, all that stuff, we can point to them that the truth is, this is amazing, but this is not your worth. This does not define you. Your value and your importance is not dictated by these things look to christ for your value when someone is choosing which parts of god's words are applicable to their lives which parts they'd rather not believe we can point them to the truth that god is infinitely good and that as his creation we can submit to those those hard truths maybe that we need to make changes in our lives in accordance with who god is but we can trust in his goodness there's not a thing that god does that is not good for us and we can trust in that do these truths make life easier? Not necessarily. Do they? But they do make us sturdier. They help anchor us, which is why we need to be in relationships where this is happening. right? Sometimes you need a group of friends who may be a bit more smaller than your small group, a group of three or four, who you can have these honest conversations and say, can you speak the truth to me in love? Where am I, where am I being drifted? Where am I being carried uh, away? Or you can say, I'm being tossed to and fro. What is, help, me, help me anchor my life on Christ alone. It's not always easy or pleasant to hear these things. There's an element of growing pains, right? My daughter's cutting teeth right now, and it's painful, and you kind of think, oh man, it would be so much easier if she didn't have to grow teeth. But you don't want a 20 year old, you know, who hasn't grown teeth. That's a level that is immature in the worst sense, and that is not healthy, right? It is painful, but it is good for us. And so the final thing we see is that um, in that passage it says, From whom the whole body is joined, held together by every joint which is with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the final landing point. This is the picture of the church we want, right? A healthy body where every part is functioning as it should. You know what happens when a muscle kind of gives up and starts like taking a breather right the, the rest of the muscles around it have to compensate and so you get like a sore leg because like your neck is like not working properly because all the muscles are having to compensate and kind of though they, they get injured and they get damaged and that's not the picture that we want for our church as a church body we want to all be functioning in the gifts that God has given us so that we can all serve one another we don't have to do this on our own Christ is the head of the church he is leading his church but he calls us get involved when you kind of sit back and Saying, "Well, I'm just going to let you know the 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 20 percent do the 80 percent of the work." You're actually hurting yourself, and you're hurting those around you. We grow into maturity as individuals and as a church when everybody plays their part using their gifts that God has given them. So, in closing, friends, God is calling us to more today. I feel like that is coming through strongly in this text. He's he's calling us not just to grow doesn't just want a bigger church, but he's calling us to grow up. Are we growing up as Christ followers? A church that is growing in likeness of its head, Christ himself. Can I urge you, don't just drift. Don't just go from week to week without a sense of direction and growth in your faith. Anchor yourself in the truths of God. Maybe buy a a theology book and say let me unpack who God is and let me anchor myself on some of these truths about who he is. Engage and participate in community. Use your gifts. Engage in speaking the truth to one another and allow others to speak the truth and love to you. But this isn't just a message to tell us to man up or pull up our big girl pants. Yes we need to take our faith seriously. Yes we need to engage with scripture more. Yes we need to discern the false promises that we're being told and believing in. But the promise that goes with this in this passage is is that we are not on our own, right? We are not just a body, kind of a headless chicken running around trying to make it work. As we mature, as we use our gifts Christ has given us, as we play our part, we grow up into Christ. He is the one who is holding us together as individuals. He is the one who is holding us together as a corporate church. And when the waves do come, when we do feel ourselves tossed by circumstance, by promises, by our own temptations, We can look to the rock we have been placed on in Jesus and we can know that he is unchanging and he is always true. He is the cornerstone we sang about this morning. He is our only true hope that we can trust in and he is the one that we can anchor our lives on. Let's uh, close in prayer together.